Hello and welcome to Mike Bites episode 27. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And on this week's show, Outlook comes to the Mac, Shelving comes to the iMac, we take an in-depth look at OS X address book and we announce the winner of our Voila competition. But first, let's catch up from last week's show. Another week, another screen sharing idea. This time it was Skype, but I almost fell at the first hurdle. Now, you were able to share your screen, but the sharing button wasn't there on mine. It actually told me that I had the latest version when I checked the update, but according to you, there was a later one. Anyway, off I went to the Skype site, I clicked the download link and I got a page not found message. Going to Mac update and trying from there, I got the same result. So, you very kindly gave me the DMG. I did, which incidentally, I was able to download perfectly well from the Skype download page at pretty much exactly the same time it was telling you to get lost. And for what it's worth, I did manage to download it tonight. Not that I need it now, anyway. Typical, day late and a dollar short. Anyway, once installed, we were able to share screens. However, um, the one thing it hasn't got is it's not interactive, so you can't take control of my screen. Although I should be thankful for that, really, because you've been doing that all week. All for your own good, I can assure you. True. You'd actually think we're in separate locations, but no, we're in the same room. You should be thankful I didn't wheel over to you on my extremely squeaky chair. Mm, Yes, squeak, squeak. We should record that, you know. Insert that into the show. What, and scare the listeners? Anyway, back to screen sharing, and we heard from Anthony Gartner, who was kind enough to send in an audio clip all about his experiences with Log Me In. So over to you, Anthony. Elaine, this is Anthony with thesecurebit.com and also an occasional panelist on the IMP Live podcast. I use the Log Me In program all the time. You were talking about asking for references for whether it was worth it on the iPhone app. I use it on the iPhone all the time. The other day I actually had a client. I had I was talking to a separate client on the phone. Actually used my phone on the 3G, logged into the Log Me In program, rebooted a separate server, logged back out, logged back in to verify the server rebooted, all without the client that I was talking to on the phone actually realizing I had rebooted anybody else's computer and wasn't working on only his problem. So yeah, it's a well worthwhile program if you have a reason to use it. If it's just to control your one free account, eh, maybe not a great reason, but you know what? It's still a good product. I love the product. It's secure. It works well. I've had no downtime from it. I recommend it. Have a good day. Bye. So thanks for that ringing endorsement, Anthony. And he also added in a note to me that he uses both products from LogMeIn, uh, Rescue and Remote, for server access. So it sounds great, doesn't it? It does. Uh, is that the sound of you spending money that I hear? Oh, yes, I think so. And um, this week, I actually have some time available to try it. So take that as an absolute yes. And if you go for it, uh, you can be the stuck-in-a-challenging-location guinea pig. Actually, this week I'm working in a 3 g location, but I'm not going to have much time as I'm busy running Vista Awareness events. With my MacBook on the table and my Adobe mug full of coffee on full show, I might add. I'm very much aware of Vista, as much as I need, want and hope to ever be. Yeah, and the last event that I ran, I was told in the feedback that I delivered it well and didn't evangelise, as if I'd ever evangelise over Vista. Oh, the shame. You'd never live it down. True, but uh, a comment from Lucy C uh, in the feedback about the exploding iPods and the Apple customer service we discussed last week. She said, nothing surprises me after Elaine's iMac, and she wonders which store it was. I was wondering that myself, and um, if anyone knows, then let us know. And uh, you've been eye-footing it this week, haven't you? I have. Uh, One of our listeners, Charlie Osborne, commented that uh, he bought iFooty Plus last week, same as uh, you and I did, uh, and he was using iFooty before, and he loves the goal alerts feature. He says it's great, although it can take a couple of minutes to alert you, and if you have the radio or TV on, then you already know the score, but uh, good nevertheless. And he told me that uh, they're going to be adding half-time and full-time notifications shortly. And they're also adding uh, the goal scorer's name to the push notifications. All we need now is the sound of the crowd and the smell of the bovril, and it'll be like being at a match. 
Well, I set I footy up to uh, follow Derby. Uh, my mum's a fan and promptly forgot I'd done it. So you can imagine my surprise on Wednesday when my phone started cheering during the evening. Um, sadly for Derby, it didn't end well, but uh, at least the technology was a success. Yeah, it takes me back about 20 years to when a certain Manchester-based radio station used to play a jingle every time there was a goal. Ah, now the great thing with those jingles was that you knew straight away if it was a goal for your team or against. One was an excited, it's a goal, and the other was a very depressing, oh no. Yeah, it was great on Derby Day when there was a goal, they played both jingles at the same time. Although you didn't always know if it was a goal for your team, because I remember, you know, the play, it's a goal, and it would turn out to be a goal for Stockport County or someone like that. But uh, leaving football, in the chat which followed last week's MacBytes live event, we were talking about Busy Cal, which led to Elaine giving us a rendition of... Info panel, info panel, info panel. <sighs> and for those who didn't really get what she was talking about, uh, she did give us a little demo of the... Info panel. OK, OK, we've got the point now. Should we take a look at some other cool toys? Sure, sure. I like new toys. Cool toy number one is the backpack. It clips onto the back of an iMac and cinema displays, creating an instant shelf. Useful for storing things like external hard drives and USB hubs. It's available from the Apple Store for $30 or $150 for a pack of six. I did think that was a cool toy, although I wasn't too sure about the logic of a six pack. Can you put more than one on each display? Well, it's probably aimed at uh, companies or home users with multiple Macs, I guess. Though, to be honest, I really need my external drives where I can easily get to them, which is under the desk and not behind the Mac. True. That's uh, pretty much where I have mine. And I've got so many external hard drives. If I was buying a shelf for each one, I'd probably be bankrupt. And another what's billed here as new toy outlook for the mac but can i just say i'm i'm prepared to dispute the categorization of outlook as cool or a tech toy just get on with it oh, fair enough well news out of redmond is uh, out of the mac business unit that entourage is no more and a mac version of outlook will be included in the next version of the office suite for mac so um you switching back to outlook no, I'm not. No, me neither. But I was looking for positives in the story. And um, I think it's good that Microsoft are developing Outlook for the Mac. Um, at least they're acknowledging the increasing market share the Mac has. And it could well entice people over to the platform and away from Windows if they see familiar softwares available. I know when I looked and, and I thought, oh, there isn't Outlook. There's this entourage thing. And that was as far as I got with it. Um, and I left my mail on my Windows machine for... Oh, about 14 months, I think, uh, after I got my first Mac. So um, hopefully it will encourage people. Yeah, I was hoping that it might encourage my employees to switch. Although, as I've said before, the rollout of Vista is just hitting full pelt. And from what I read, it's going to be missing a lot of features compared to the Windows version. Well, as I'm sure I've mentioned, I had some rather nasty experiences with Outlook and its PST file storage. Um, which I found extremely annoying, as I always kept the PSTs really small. I archived on a daily basis, um, and I only kept each PST for one month. And I constantly re-indexed them as well. I re-indexed them at least twice a day, as Microsoft recommend. Well, compared to what I've seen when I worked in uh, IT support, I've seen people with PSTs of over a gig. And you were a paragon of Outlook virtue, may I say. Exactly. So for mine to become corrupt was absolutely criminal. So um, I'm staying with mail for sure. And maybe even a new version. Because we heard news this week that Snow Leopard is nearing release. Yeah, not long now. I know that it was originally mid-September, but there are rumours of it being earlier. Yep, I've seen those rumours as well. Um, maybe even only 10 days away. Mm, it all feels so disorganised. Not as organised as the Leopard launch, but maybe that's just me. It reminds me more of the iPhone launch last July when uh, the Apple Store didn't have a clue, or for that read wouldn't tell me, what time they were opening. And that was at 10 o'clock the night before they went on sale when I rang them up. No, I feel the same. I would much rather have a definite date. I mean, there is a definite date for Windows out there, so... It's not fair. All we know is it's coming sometime soon, but um, I would much, much prefer a definite date. 
Yeah, because then we can work out our days off and our holidays around it. Now, some people go away, but uh, what do we do? We upgrade our Macs on our holidays. And sadly, you're not joking there. <laughs> it's imaging and backup time, never too soon to start. Not again. Well, you should know more than anyone. Um, I have had three hard drive deaths this week. Three in the, in the same week. Horrendously with um, the same data on them. Um, luckily, it's all sorted out now, but they were actually um, all dead. One was making a strange noise and uh, has since become unwritable. So the data is still on there, but uh, for how long, I don't know, because I, it's dying a death as I sit here. So I have unplugged that one. Um, then there's my C drives, my love-hate relationship with my C drives. I haven't had too bad a deal with the drives, but the power supplies, what am I like with power supplies? Mm, let's not go there. Exactly, not my fault. Um, I had, uh, it was a Porsche C drive and um, beautiful looking thing. And it started clicking. And I thought, oh, a, cl a clicking drive. It's dead. And it wouldn't come on. The power came on. The drive was clicking away with itself. So obviously you assume it's a dead drive. So um, I had a, every drive I have a, has a copy of itself. So it's just a case of plugging in a new one and um, re-replicating the thing. And then over a course of about eight to nine months, probably, you reckon? I do. Yeah. I must have had drive after drive after drive go. So I started looking this up online and other people were reporting the same issues, but they were saying it was the power supply, not the drive, and that the drive itself wasn't actually dead. So I thought, well, I didn't think to swap the power supplies over. And if people have only got one drive, they wouldn't have the luxury of being able to test another power supply. And um, yeah, these drives were OK. It was just the power supplies. So I thought, well, I'll replace the power supplies then. One, they are exorbitantly expensive. They want about £40 for the power supply and postage of nearly £10 when the drive was only £80 and that had come to about 50 each just for a replacement power supply. Uh, and secondly, they've been out of stock for at least the last 14 months because that's how long I've been trying to get hold of some of them. They just die a death on me constantly and the symptom is that the drive looks like the drive's gone and it sounds like the drive's gone, but it hasn't. Um, nine times out of ten. It's the power supply. Uh, so this time the drive started clicking and I thought, ha, gotcha, it's just the power supply. So I swiftly unplugged it, plugged it into another one. And no, for the first time ever, this time the drive has actually gone as well as the power supply. So that was fantastic. That was the second one. And um, then the third drive died and that was an iAmiga, an external iAmiga drive. And that one just died. Uh, no warning, no nothing. It um, was turned on. I rebooted the machine and the drive wasn't there anymore. And that was the end of that one. And uh, the thing, as I say, with these drives were that uh, the original one that became unwritable had all my photos on it. You do not want to be losing all your photos. The Lassie one was the backup of the photos. But luckily, just for good measure, I had a third copy of my photos and they were on the iAmiga one. So all three died the same week. So, well, I know I go on about backup, but can you see why? Imaging is just critical and it's a huge time saver. Luckily for me, I did know. Um, I can tell. You know what I'm like with my stethoscope checking the health of my drives. And I did know that um, the one that became unwritable was going. So um, I did have time to make a copy of it. But there's three drives with the same data on that all died in a week. So... You need to be imaging, don't you? Yeah, I do regular backups. Um, I don't do imaging of my hard drives, my, my system, full system uh, imaging on a regular basis. I know I should do. Um, I I would think that actually doing an image uh, of, of your, your hard drive it is the last thing you do before a new operating system goes on. Not at this it, stage. It is. Um, it's that's exactly when I would do it. But um, I constantly image my uh, bootable drive uh, anyway, my system drive, because it's quicker to update an image than to create a whole new one uh, five minutes before you've got Snow Leopard in your hand and you're itching to get it installed. Mm, I guess so. Um, I better go and do it then. <coughs> I think hmm. you should. Yes, I'll be checking. It's time for the rebuild checklist to make their infrequent but important appearance. You're so organised. I know. Actually, they're really useful. Uh, 
you caught a lot of points that I missed, so maybe we should share those with our listeners. Okay, next week we shall have the Snow Leopard install checklist special. With free downloadable checklists. Absolutely, we're too kind, aren't we? We are. Something something for the listeners to look forward to. Something else that I spotted this week, an innovative use for the iPhone. Uh, Banks to allow customers to deposit checks by iPhone. And that's come from my friend Aaron. Uh, The USAA, a privately held bank and insurance company in America, plans to update its iPhone application this week to introduce check deposit feature, which requires the customer to photograph both sides of a check with the phone's camera. We're essentially taking an image of the check and once you hit the send button, that image is going to our deposit taking system as any other check would, said the bank's executive vice president. Not that I actually get many checks now, but when I do, uh, I've got to organise going to the bank around the rest of my life. So it would make life easier. So maybe I should suggest it to the NatWest. I wouldn't bother if I were you. Um, it's actually taken them four months and 37 phone calls to change the address on one of our accounts. So I can only imagine what a foul up they'd make of something like that. When all they really need is the OS Ten address book. Oh, good segue. I'm impressed with that. Mm. So, address book. You know, it's pretty simple, isn't it? No hidden depths there. You know me, I can find hidden depths anywhere and address book is no different. But um, I guess the first thing is getting addresses in there and I had no problem as I had so few contacts in Outlook and the contacts I had in there, I only had email addresses for. Um, I was prepared to start from scratch and add them all manually. But uh, I know you got adventurous with importing your data, didn't you? I did. I haven't got many contacts either, uh, but I think I'm just lazy and didn't want to sit there and type them by hand. I'm glad I didn't say that. I use something called O2M from Little Machines. And what it allows you to do is to copy contacts, uh, email and calendar items from Outlook and import them into the appropriate apps in OS X. I actually originally bought it. It's only $10. originally bought it to transfer my mail across. I knew I'd heard of that before. Mm. You mentioned it on our mail show. I did. It's really simple to use. All you do is fire it up on your Windows PC Pick the Outlook folders that you want to export. You can set any filtering options you want to use and click start. And what it does for contacts is it creates a vCard file that can then be imported into address book. The free alternative should work too, where you export from Outlook to either vCard or text-based format and import those into address book, which you might need in a work situation where you can't install the O2M app in the first place. Bet you're glad the data you were after was at home and not at work. Yeah, I didn't think of that um, because, as people know, I can't install software at work. And um, mind you, I only had a few entries in my contacts at work and they were work related. So I don't really think I wanted them in my address book. Having said that, I do now have most of my colleagues phone numbers in my address book just for uh, ease of access. Well, it's easy to get those work addresses into a dress book if you need them. Just send them to yourself uh, via work as vCard attachments. Ooh, clever thinking. Indeed. Well, I think a dress book makes data entry a pleasure. Um, I actually enjoyed putting this stuff in there. I did change the default template, uh, which is in the preferences, but that was back on Tiger, and I think they improved the country recognition in Leopard, so I didn't have to change the phone format or the zip titles and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't remember doing any of that, but uh, the machine was already set up, so maybe that's why. Expertly by my good self, I seem to recall. Of course. I sometimes wish it kept up to date with the social networks more. Um, I was using the nickname field for Twitter names, but it kept appearing in email addresses, so um, I took them out and put them in the notes field. But it would be nice, for example, to have, say, a dedicated Twitter field with an option to at reply straight from the address book. Yeah, that'd actually be really cool. And I do also like the nickname field, although good job it doesn't have an explicit tag with some of the nicknames that we have for people. Well, that's what I was worried about. Now, I think we should hasten to add only the odd few. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was appearing in the email uh, field. So it had the name of the person followed by their nickname. And I wasn't I wasn't too sure whether that got sent with the mail or not. So um, that was why I took it out. Mm, best to do a test, I think, before you do anything like that. Exactly, but I, I wasn't going to trust it anyway. Ah, but uh, do you use the image field? I didn't until recently. Um, I haven't got any photographs of people to add to their entries. 
Well, I thought the same, but you do have an iPhone. So if, if you work with the person, they've no excuse. Snap them on the way past. And um, I found it was amazing what Google could come up with. Believe me, there were some in there people wouldn't have wanted me to use. And of course, you've got Twitter avatars and Facebook too now. Um, and it's also more useful than it sounds. Um, I didn't bother. I know you could do it in Outlook and I didn't bother. Um, but now it's really useful. It obviously shows in a dress book, but it also gets synchronised to your iPhone um, in the contact list. So as you uh, go into the details, there's the image. And when you get a phone call, um, the image flashes up as well as the name. So I actually find that useful as well. Uh, and it appears in Mail. So uh, if you use Mail.app, when you get an email coming in, if you use the preview panel at the bottom, it would appear in there. And because I've got Growl Mail installed, um, it also flashes up when you get your Growl message. The image is part of the indication that you've received a new mail. What? So I flash on your screen when I mail you? Hey, steady on. You flash up on my screen. Actually, that sounds worse. Forget that. Um, a good tip here. Yes, there really was a reason we were mentioning this is when I add a software company to my address book, um, I add a logo to it. And what I do is I extract the 512 pixel logo from the application itself. So the application is a package. I open up the package, go to the resources and extract the logo from it. So when I add that to the, the contact details in address book and I get mails coming in, um, both in mail and in growl, it's really clear who the mails come from instantly. So for instance, I might be contacting support and waiting patiently for a reply, as I ever do. For which read not at all. Thank you very much. I might not use images for uh, to the full, but I do use groups. I've actually set up a group uh, for work and I've dragged all my colleagues into it, or colleagues' names into it. <laughs> <laughs> That's got a very nice image attached to it, but carry on. I'm also at a group, this is really sad, for a well-known supermarket because I've got several of their branches in my address book. Smart groups are great for companies. I trust that is a smart group. It isn't. Uh, I didn't think of using that feature. Oh, shame on you. A bit of lateral thinking required there. If you'd used a smart group, then you'd never have to manually update the group when you added a new uh, branch of the supermarket. Mm, good tip. And every little helps. Oh, that's shameless. Shameless. <laughs> I don't like them anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, no, what I do um, in respect of the smart group feature is I add keywords to the notes field and I then treat those as tags for smart groups. Um, it makes con managing the contacts much easier. So instead of dra dragging contacts in and out of groups that I have to manually create, um, I add the keywords or, or tags as I think of them and then just edit them and uh, the smart groups get updated automatically. Of course, once you start using groups of any kind, you are bound to lose track of who is in what group, um, which was happening to me, which was why I decided to make them smart groups and use the keywords or tags as I think of them, because uh, that way I can look at the tags and I can know what group they're supposed to be in. And if they're smart groups, then what group they will be in. But if you've already started using uh, standard groups where you've dragged and dropped people in, then uh, you might need a way to ascertain what groups people are in. And there is indeed a point to this. Another good tip. Um, if you select an address book card and hold the option key down, you will immediately see what groups they are assigned to because the uh, groups will change colour. And the ones that they are in will be a sort of a yellowy colour, depending on your theme. But uh, in my case, they are a yellowy colour. That's cool. I'm trying it now, actually. Why didn't I know that before? I have no idea. Mm, well, I might not have known that, but I do know all about merge selected cards. Um, what I found is I had about two or three, um, well, for one particular person, I had two cards. I think what I'd done is I'd added his mobile phone number and then I'd added his email address, not realising that I'd already had a card for him. But you can just select the two cards and then there's a, a command on the menu that just lets you merge the cards into one. There's also the comparison that can help with that, um, where you can compare separate cards um, by opening one of the cards in a separate window. So it's handy to decide uh, beforehand whether to merge or not. Mm, that's worth knowing because uh, all I've done is merge the cards. Well, it does give you a bit of a view as well. If you actually elect to um, 
If you add um, a card and you already have a card with the same name, then it will give you a window and you have four options at the bottom of that. So you can say keep the first card, keep the second card, um, merge the two or whatever. And the options are available at the bottom. But this is a way to open a card in a separate window and do a comparison. So another use for it would be if you have um, a contact at a specific company and you're adding another contact at that company, you can elect to open the first one in a separate window and you can use the copy and paste to copy all the details across. So um, another little tip there. Another feature is that you can send an update to your contact details. Now I like the idea of sending the update um, to my contacts but I've never actually used it. Um, you can send your updated contact information to your contacts on a group by group basis. Yeah the message contains an updated copy of your v-card and to automatically notify contacts whenever your contact information changes, you can select notify people when my card changes in the general pane of the uh, address book preferences. Dangerous, very dangerous, because I keep private email addresses in my contact card, my me card. So something like um, my Evernote direct address. With Evernote, you have um, a system generated email address. And if you send an email to that address, it adds the contents of it to your Evernote notebook. So that is um, an email address I would probably keep private and I have it in my me card. So um, if that was in there, um, I yikes, I just imagine what would, could happen there. Yeah, I think I'll stay clear of that one as well. Well, you could, of course, maintain a me card and a completely separate public card or conversely, a completely separate private card um, with the, the relevant details on it. So to, to use that feature and um, have your private email addresses, you'd have to make the public card, um, your me card public and keep your private addresses in the other one or vice versa, depending on how you would prefer to work. Ah, another stroke of Giles genius there. Indeed. And another time saver is the spotlight contact option from the edit menu. Not use that. I just use spotlight from the magnifying glass on the menu bar. But uh, yeah, it's a good way to work if you've already if you're already in the address book. Well, I usually access all my address book entries via launch bar, which is very quick. But if you're already in your address book or you haven't got launch bar, then it's probably the fastest way, to be honest. Of course, having your addresses in address books all very well and good. But uh, what about sharing with other systems, namely Google? Oh, you and your Google fetish. What, fetish? No, it's a real need. Um, yes, of course. Yeah, address book to Google. Um, imagine you've got all your addresses in address book and you set up a Google account and you now want to get all your addresses over to your Google account. Well, there is a quick way of doing, doing it. Uh, there's a, a piece of software, it's free, and it's called A to G. Get it? A to G? Address to Google? Brilliant. <laughs> Good, you lost it? me at Google, but carry on. Uh, what you do, you actually run this, this software, it's, it's on the Mac, you run it, you click export to desktop and it creates a CSV file which it sticks on your desktop called contacts for Gmail, dead simple. And then you go into Gmail and you just go to contacts, import and you choose this CSV file, job's done. Well forget the Google part of it but actually being able to create the CSVs is I suppose quite handy. Because mm, you could uh, import that to other things you know like um, spreadsheets or something like that. Oh no something else that you lose me with. Now you can also go the other way not with A to G and the, the program's not called G2A by the way. <laughs> you can take your addresses from Google and import them into your address book. So let's say you've been using a Google account and then you, you actually get a Mac and you want to use the address book. So what you can do is you can log into Google, select your contacts. You can either select all contacts or a specific group. And in Google, you can you can click export, select vCard format, and then go into address book and use file import vCards. Job's done. Sounds good. Mm. Now, if you've got a mobile me account, uh, you can share your address book over the internet with others. Uh, sounds a bit dangerous to me, unless you Very trust dangerous. these people. Uh, but anyone who also has a mobile me account, uh, what you do is, in preferences, use the sharing tab and you add appropriate people from your address book. It'll only allow you to select people with mobile me addresses. 
and then you send them an invitation and users can then, on their copy of address book, use file subscribe to address book uh, to connect to yours. Now that sounds like um, iTunes, share my library. Mm, it does actually, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's just I think you tend to have, like you said before, more sort of confidential information in your address book that you don't particularly want to share. I mean, you know, I'm quite happy to share my copy of um, Gumbe Dance Band with other I'm people. I'm sure you would be. No, you should be ashamed to be sharing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, running um, at Bites Gaga there. Yes. 10.5.3 added the I option. I think I'll edit in the chorus there. Carry on, carry on talking to yourself. <laughs> 10.5.3 added the option to sync to Google, but uh, it only works if you have an iPhone or an uh, an iPod Touch plugged in and synced. Yeah, now I, I confirmed that by looking at a Mac that had never been um, synced with an iPhone and it's not there. So uh, if you don't have an iPhone, uh, what you'll need is a compliant friend who wouldn't mind lending you theirs uh, just to enable the option. I think that's a really strange thing to do on Apple's part. But um, when I synchronised a phone with it, it was fine and it appeared. Option available. Yeah, it's in the preferences and there's a tick box for sync with mobile me. There's a tick box for sync with exchange. There's a tick box for sync with Yahoo. And as I say, they've added this one for sync with Google. But what they didn't do is they didn't update the help. So when I looked in the help, there was no mention of it. Well, there wouldn't have to be, would there? Because for some people it's not there. That's why it's odd. That mm, is but, very strange. But even though the option was there, the, the help didn't mention it. Mm. Well, the option's only available in yours, is what I'm saying, but the help would be available to everybody. Yeah. You can't make the contents of the help file conditional on whether there's been a phone plugged in it. So the option would be... Now, they could say, you know, this option is only available if you have an iPhone, but then the people without would know they were missing out. So uh, I'd guess that's why it's not there. But have you mail merged with your address book data? Only with Word in Windows. Oh, dear, dear. And that's not with this address book data. No, no, it wouldn't be. Um, the Mail Merge feature um, into Pages is an absolute joy to use. It's completely seamless. Really, really easy. It's a lot easier than Word and OpenOffice. Um, <clears throat> in fact, it's the default data source and it's already attached to every document uh, ready for use. See, my time with Pages the other week wasn't in vain. Well, you know, that's... So easy. Mail merging Word was a right pain. It's actually got worse over the years. Um, when I was using Word, I was using like Word 6. And it wasn't too bad. Yes, you might have to go through it a couple of times to get used to it, but it was usable. Um, but I remember that my, my last demo of Office was uh, 2007, just prior to release. And I was demoing it in front of a group of about 30 trainers who were more than au fait with how all the other versions worked. And when I was doing it, they were looking at me like, is this a joke? You know, it's it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And I'm sort of sat there saying, well, I know this doesn't work and I know this is horrible, but, you know, this is the way they've implemented it. So um, it's a, a real joy to use if you want to send something like um, Christmas cards or something like that or personalised newsletters. A lot of families um, that we know are sending sort of uh, family newsletters, aren't they, at Christmas? They so, are, um, yeah. it, you know, it would be Pages has some great templates to work with for that. And um if you wanted to personalise them the touch more, then um, it's already linked to the data. So uh, all you've got to do is just insert the field and away you go. None of this um, specifying data sources and writing SQL strings and all that nastiness. So uh, it, it is really, really easy to use. And the other print options are um, incredibly good as well. You've got standard list and small folded um, like address book type printouts. But if you expand that print dialog uh, hidden in there, there is a host of options. And I was quite surprised that there's some really powerful stuff in there. Um, and it would be a lot more difficult to achieve what's in there in uh, other address managers. For instance, there is an option when you are printing to hide the country um, when you print, if that country is the same as your country. Now, yeah, I've done that with SQL data strings and all sorts. Um, but your average user just wants it to work. So having the, the option there, which is hide country if it's your country, it couldn't be simpler, really. Um, all the standard Avery labels are in there. You've got the standard US sizes and Europeans as well, because I looked and thought, mm, what's the betting? You know, no, no European ones. But yep, they're all in there. Um, and one of the benefits is, uh, because I've been doing that manually for quite a while, um, the addresses in question um, aren't in my address book. Um, and I have a document 
and um, it gets updated. Um, but what address book will do is it centers the addresses vertically and horizontally within the label, resizing the text as required to make it fit. Now, uh, if anybody's tried that with Word uh, and Access and data from Outlook, it's, it's a nightmare, isn't it? You end up with uh, missing fields and uh, truncated addresses or addresses that hang outside the label. So um, I looked at that and thought, oh, there's a, like a really long address and a very short address. And, um, you know, they both fit. So I zoomed in to have a look and uh, it worked seamlessly. So um, I decided as soon as I saw that, I shall be moving these addresses from a document into a dress book and uh, regenerating it from there. Um, it's, a, it's a shame, actually, that those options are so well hidden because, you know, people just might not find them um, and they are a joy to use. I know they could put sort of, you know, create labels on the menu. So um, I don't really know why they've hidden them away, but um, they do work and they work exceptionally well. I find with them, um, as with most Apple software, it's the small things that make the difference. Um, for instance, when you are not in edit mode, which is your default, you, you know, you have to deliberately go into edit mode. Um, you can select a, a, the whole of a contact's name, even though when that data is entered, it's entered in separate fields. Uh, you can also copy the whole address without having to do it field by field. Yes, Outlook, I'm looking at you. Um, so just being able to, to copy contact information without having to go through it field by field is a huge time saver. Um, and it hides the fields with no data, which actually is just as well, because you know that you can add fields to your contact cards. Um, you can go up and choose to add uh, hidden fields, so maybe anniversaries or nicknames, as, well, as we've mentioned. But once you've shown a field, I couldn't find a way to hide it again. I don't know if you've even noticed that. No, I didn't. But um, I've, I've put extra fields in, but when I went back to the same menu to hide it, I didn't find an option to. So um, because you could end up with empty fields, uh, it's, it's good that it hides the fields with no data. So you don't really have to worry about um, however many fields you have in your template. The, the ones with no data will get hidden. And uh, you found the option the other day again that you didn't know about, but I did, and you were quite excited. Not quite info panel excited, but excited to um, display a map in Google, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, and I started looking at where I work and zooming into my office. Oh, that's even more sad. But anyway, and uh, another option I've not used myself, but then I think I've got a portable phone most of the time. But you can um, show a phone number in large text. So if your phone is across the room, you can uh, put it on the screen in large letters and walk across the room to dial. It's all clever stuff, isn't it? That is actually very handy because at work, my phone is over to the right of me and my monitor is over to the left of me. And I'm forever squinting when I'm trying to read somebody's phone number. Well, you see, even you found a use for that then. Mm. And of course, you know what I need to mention, don't you? Backing up. Back up, back up, back up. Yes, again. But it's important, as has been proved, hard drive failure. They just happen. Just imagine. Turn your Mac off, turn it back on. Everything's dead. Of course, you're going to say, ah, but I'd have it on mobile me. Well, you would, but you still have to synchronise it back. So you've got lots of backup options. Um, you can, from address book itself, choose file export and export to a V card. Now, the thing that threw me the first time I did that was, uh, in Outlook, if I do that, it creates multiple V cards, one for each contact. Um, in address book, it creates one V card. And I thought, well, what's going to happen when I try and import this? But it splits up nicely when you import it. So um, it's very easy to back it up. You end up with just a V card and it's a re really small file. And then you can just back that up. It would definitely fit on your pen drive. But you can also elect to back up your address book archive. Now, I haven't been ridiculous in terms of trying this um, by nuking my ad address book. I would suspect, looking at the files, which I have, yes, I ventured in, into the deep bowels of a V card. I would suspect the differences. Um, I didn't see a way in a V card for it to back up things like the image that you've attached to a contact. But an address book archive looks like that's exactly what it would do. So um, you may want to uh, use the archive option rather than the V card or indeed do both back up, back up. And then when you've backed up, back up again. So uh, I, I would probably do all three or four of these options, but that's just me, isn't it? Stop sniggering. Um, you've also got mobile me. So you, you uh, 
would have the ability to have multiple copies. Problem with Mobile Me is if you have it set to automatically sync and you inadvertently delete um, um, an address, then it's going to synchronize the fact that you've deleted the address. Now, you may or may not be able to recover that um, using a time machine or something like that. It depends on uh, the time it backed up and whether it was there, etc. So <clears throat> I wouldn't be relying on it, but uh, there is the option that you do have Mobile Me. Something else I do, which is probably viewed as a bit strange, but why not? Because you, you can never back up in too many different ways. I back up the whole address folder. Um, and I found doing that, it's the seamless way to transfer it to another machine. So I've never had to rely on the address book archive or vcards or dragging and dropping or whatever. And on occasions where I've had a problem with mobile me, as you have had recently with your calendar syncing or not syncing, or dying a sad death, um, your data on mobile me can be corrupted. So if you back up the whole folder, uh, you can't not get it back. So uh, back up the folder as well. Why not? Yeah, I started doing that as well. Uh, just doing a complete backup of my home folder. Uh, and in fact, if you actually go into the um, Your Name Library Application Support address book folder, I think it is, uh, you can see the individual files and you can actually quick look them. Yep, so I just back up that whole folder. I know the archive should do the same job, but um, you never quite trust anything that, that is, needs to be automated in any way. Um, the address book archive, for instance, you could find an incompatibility between um, an archive that you're trying to restore. Whereas if you've got the folder, and then like you say, at least you can get into them and add them one at a time if you have to. So if I can get to the uh, data store, I always try and back up the data store anyway. So uh, back up the whole folder. As you say, you'll find it in your library application support addresses. And uh, my final way of backing up is, as we mentioned when we talked about email, um, I said I use something called Email Backup Pro and I have that set to automatically back up um, in the morning and I have another one that backs up in the evening. But one of the options in Email Backup Pro is to back up your address book uh, when it backs up the mail or in fact instead of when it backs up the mail. So you know if you don't want it to back up the mail, um, you could actually use this to just back up your address book. And uh, I use that as well. Um, I figure it might as well. Um, there's no downside to having multiple backups apart from disk space. Um, so I back up using that as well. So uh, lots of options for backing up. Yeah, lots of options for, for everything there. Um, considering, you know, you look at it and you think, oh, it's just for storing names, addresses and things. There's, there's a lot of powerful stuff in there. It is. And the integration that you've got with... Um, the applications is a joy to use. You can just drag and drop, for instance, from your address book into um, pages, into numbers, and you get all the details brought in. It's just brilliant. When you think of how you would have to set that up with other applications or be copiously copying and pasting, it is very, very cleverly written, often underestimated. Yeah. One of the things that I did many years ago, uh, pre-Outlook, was uh, set up my own database of names and addresses and phone numbers. And the uh, way I did it, it meant that if I wanted to, if I needed to do a batch update, uh, I could do. Has, uh, has the address book got anything like that? Oh, yes, the great BT phone number change in the 90s that they did not once, but twice. That's um, the one. That's the one, yes. I had clients screaming on the phone, crying um, that they had to update. It was bad enough when London changed from 01 to 071 and 081. That was in the late 80s, very early 90s. Um, but then they did it all again. Once wasn't enough. And uh, it's very difficult to, to update something like that because it depends on the format that the phone numbers are stored in in the first place. Uh, if you don't have the spaces in all the same places and you can find, uh, I think we had one where 0161 was Manchester, but I think there was an 0167 or something and that was Milton Keynes and it was a nightmare. Um, but it can be done uh, with, like I'm saying, SQL query strings. But in a dress book, no, there is no option that will say, you know, go and find um, this phone number and update the first four characters of it. Uh, but I did manage to do it. You were waiting for that, weren't you? I was. Yes, I did manage to do it. What I did was um, I dragged and dropped uh, all my contacts out. So I created one V card and a V card file is just a text based document. So what I then did was I opened it up in a text editor and had a look at the structure of the file. 
And it, if, if people are familiar with it, it's very similar to an XML file. So you have in there um, one uh, sort of a, a section of text telling it that it's a V card and what format to expect. And then within that, you have an entry for each contact that you have. And it's in plain text, so you can actually see the phone number. So as long as you're really strict with yourself when you're putting data in and you keep it in a nicely formatted way, uh, then yes, you can multiply update and just to test it. I did it. And yes, it worked. And then, of course, you've got to take it back in. So um, I did do it. It's not something I'd recommend for the faint of heart. But uh, if you've got thousands and thousands of business records in there, um, then yes, I think, to be honest, you would still need um, an expert in there. Because, like I said, it's quite conceivable that you change one number from what it needs, from what it is to what it needs to be. And the knock on effect of that is that if you then run the second find and replace, um, it will change something that you didn't intend it to, which is why you get the professionals in. But yes, it can actually be done. And of course, you could always export your data and take it into your database and do it in there. But yes, it can be done. Brilliant. Well, should we move on? Why not? Yeah, some feedback from uh, last week from our friend Jane, Jane73. She said, I nearly got as excited as Elaine when I heard you say that BusyCal allowed you to print weeks spanning adjacent months. And I thought, yes, I'll buy this app. But then I found that you can't publish and share calendars with other iCal users without the complication of Google calendars. Please tell me I'm missing something here. Well, I'd imagine it would work for whatever Jane's trying to do with it, because we must have one of the weirdest setups and it works well here. So I will mail Jane and um, we will work it out together and we will report back to you. How's that? Sounds good. Because I know that the setup that we had, uh, we had to contact the people at BusyMac and uh, we were bereft weren't we that it wasn't going to work and um, I sent a beautifully formatted diagram and he said yep this will work just do it this way so um, I'm pretty confident that it'll work in a lot of different scenarios so um, I shall contact Jane and we will work it out and we will let you know how we get on but on to events the next MacBytes live event is the 27th of August when Mike's going to be showing some examples of practical pivot tables in Excel. Now, OK, hands up, not strictly Mac related, but there is Excel for the Mac, although you're demonstrating it on Windows, aren't you? I am. Oh, nasty. Um, but many Mac users are forced to work in a Windows world. So um, come along anyway. And there's always the chat beforehand and after. So if you're not interested in the middle bit, you can switch off in the middle bit and just uh, attend for the chat. So all the details of what we're actually going to be covering is you can read at digital-iq.co.uk uh, and all the, all the details of our other events are on there as well. And on the night, um, which is 2000 hours BST, 27th of August, just go to macbytes.co.uk slash live and um, put in your name and you're in. Very simple. And we also have a social event coming up on the 17th of September, which will take place at the Old Pelican Inn, Manchester Road, which is on the Sale Timpley border. So uh, we'll put a link to the venue in the show notes and um, you're all welcome. So um, just turn up and um, you'll have a MacBytes t-shirt on, won't you? So um, I will. It'll be like carrying a red rose, only it'll be a MacBytes t-shirt and uh, make yourself known and uh, come and have a chat. Now, the Old Pelican Inn is actually called the Old Pelican. This is funny. Um, or it was until Google decided that it was should actually be called the Pelican Inn, which is fine. But it does not say the Pelican Inn on the front of the place. It says the Old Pelican. So uh, I've compromised and I've now called it the Old Pelican Inn, because if I call it what it's really called, the Old Pelican, Google tells me there's no such place. I'm not pleased with that. Now you wonder why I'm not keen on Google. I'm not pleased with that at all because the place is called the Old Pelican, but it's now called the Pelican Inn, or in our case, the Old Pelican Inn. But it's all the same place. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. So we'll put a link directly to it to make sure it's the right place. And now the time you've been waiting for, the result of our Voila competition. And congratulations to our listener who goes under the name of Isabel304. She's won herself a copy of Voila. Now, remember, we asked you to download a copy, the trial copy, and play around with it and tell us what was the uh, most useful feature for you. And Isabel put, first thing I noticed with Voila was that the screen capture facility was very fast compared to Grab, which I've been using until now. 
The feature I see myself using most is the annotation facility. I sell a lot of stuff on eBay and I like to be able to annotate the photographs accompanying my auctions. I also belong to many techie forums where it's always useful to post a screen grab and scroll comments or arrows all over it to illustrate a question or an explanation. Also loved being able to survey and preview all my screen grabs in one place. So that's fantastic. Congratulations, Isabel. And watch out for a mail from MacBytes and enjoy your copy of Voila. And as one competition ends, we have another one. The nice folks at BusyMac have given us copies of BusyCal to give away as competition prizes. Good segue. You are on fire tonight, aren't you? I certainly am. Well, seeing as though it's all about BusyCal, can I info panel? No. Meanie. OK, tell us a plan for this one then. Simply send us an email to macbytesuk at gmail.com with the words BusyCal Competition in the subject and we'll pick the winners at random. We'll leave this one open for a couple of weeks. We also have a discount code for purchasing BusyCal when it's released very soon. So use the code MACBITES and get 20% off your order. And of course, you are going to need to download the latest beta and give it a trial. So head over to BusyCal.com and download it right away. It's really, really good. And, and it's got something that you'll like as well that I'm not allowed to mention. No. <laughs> well, before you start info panelling again, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. So I cut you off in your prime there. You did. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please send all your questions, comments, queries by email to macbytesuk at gmail.com. We also have a contact form on the website, so you can contact us that way. Tell us what you think. And you can keep up to date with what we're doing via the website, macbytes.co.uk and Twitter, twitter.com slash macbytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. So until next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time. See you next time. And if you think you've cut me off in my prime, please remember, I edit the show. Ha ha ha!